is going on today? Oh, you know, just a beautiful, crisp fall Saturday morning over here. We cooked some breakfast. Delish. Breakfast burritos in my belly. Oh my gosh, they were so good. We were talking about, like, what to have for breakfast yesterday, and you were like, oh, do you want, like, well, regular or, like, the burritos that we've had before? And I was like, ooh, girl, I forgot about those burritos, <laughs> but those hit different. <laughs> and then she pulled up, and I'm like, wait, nope, we're not doing wine today. So jumped in her car, she ran me to the corner liquor store, and we made mimosa. Oh, my God. And they're so good. It's like mimosas with a twist because it's like, it's the cupcake Moscato with the orange juice. And it's like so nice. I'm telling you, you guys have to try this. Also, when she came out to my car to go to the liquor store, she scared the living shit out of me. Because I was like looking down, grabbing the bags of like of food that I had or whatever. And then all of a sudden I looked up and she was just right at my car door. And I was just like... (gasps) It just scared me. Well, I had to be quick because I didn't want you to get out of the car. Right, right. It was a pleasant, it was a pleasant surprise because it turned out good because we're drinking mimosas right now. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Five o'clock somewhere. Um, in case we forget, I want to make sure we do our shout outs to Hi Dex Shepherd, best friend. Hi Dex. Um, we are going to kind of have, speaking of Dex, we're going to have a little bit of a Monica Padman moment here. Yeah. Um... I'm going to do a facts check. I have been kind of going back and listening to our um, some of our other shows, just you know, just to kind of listen to them, see what we can learn for from them, you know, as we grow. And there's a few bloopers that <laughs> I noticed, and I'm like, how did that get past us? So um, one of them was mine. We did a Children of the Corn episode, which I love the movie. I watched it many times. And somehow I kept calling the kid Job instead of Job. And it was really annoying listening to it. So I just want to let everyone know that I do know it was Joby. And Job, I don't know if it's just spelt that way. So I just, in my mind, I read it that way. Well, I didn't correct you, so I didn't notice either. That was my mess up. And then... um, we did an Urban Legends one, and uh, Crystal had accidentally said, well, in her defense, she truly believed and thought with all her heart, <laughs> no pun intended, um, that the girl was singing Alone by Heart. And even after that episode, I was like, I think that was Total Eclipse of the Heart. Well, we never went back to correct it. And it was. It's totally a clip to the heart that she's singing. It's not Oh yeah. alone. Lowe so. was correct. And even just now, before we recorded, like, she played it. And it was, obviously, totally close to the heart. And then I went to go, like, sing. And I was like, oh, now it's stuck in my head. But I literally sang alone. Like, I don't know if my brain doesn't compute those two songs or if they mix like, them um, up. <laughs> still a wrong song, though. I'm like, wow. It's pretty bad on my part. So I just wanted to correct some of those errors so if you haven't listened to them and you decide to go back and listen to them now you'll know like we've already called ourselves out yep yep can't can't call us out if we call ourselves out first um my exciting thing is i'm finally catching up with the world and watching dr death i know i'm behind i just had so many other things i was involved with i am down to i think one episode left but i'm really into it joshua jackson he's a He's definitely a special character in this series. A little bit of a tool bag, um, clearly. (laughs) So if you haven't seen it yet, like me, um, it's on Peacock. Go and watch it. And if you did, feel free to write in your thoughts and we can talk about them. Hey, you're ahead of me, though. You said you were behind. You're ahead of me because I haven't even started it. I didn't even really know much about it. You, like, kind of explained it to me earlier and, um, yeah, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon, too, because it sounds like a good show. Um, yeah, this week, um, it was my birthday, and my sister... Happy sis- birthday, KK! Thank you! <laughs> and my sister got me, um, Whitney Cummings tickets. Um, she came to Royal Oak Music Theater in Michigan, um, for her, like, stand-up tour. Um, it's called the Touch Me Tour, and I was so excited because I love Whitney Cummings. I love her podcast. I just love her Instagram. I just love following her. Um, I loved Two Broke Girls, all that all that jazz. Um, and she was awesome. She was in Two Broke Girls? She, um, 
she wasn't an actress in it. She, like, did writing and producing and okay, stuff. Okay, I watched the first few seasons, and I'm like... Yeah, she was, like, behind the scenes. Okay, I just want to make sure this one's going to be another fact check. I was going to have to do it later. <laughs> yeah, fact check later. Fact check the fact check. <laughs> right. It's very, very possible with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but she was awesome. She was so good. Um, it was kind of funny because we were sitting, and then um, Benton Ray opened up for her, and if you listen to her podcast, you know him. He's hilarious also. Um, but it was funny because when we first sat down, there was this guy sitting next to us, and he was like, we were listening, I mean, we weren't like listening to what he was saying, but we could just hear him. He was talking to the people he was with and he's like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really know her at all. Um, I just hope it's not too, you know, crude or anything. In my head, I was like, you don't know when he coming yeah. then because it's about to be real crude. And it was, and I love that humor. I think it's freaking hilarious. So I want, I was dying to like look over at him to just be like, what is his face right now? <laughs> because he was not expecting this. You're watching him more than the show. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, what's his reaction? No, Winnie Cummings is great. I like her a lot. She's awesome. Yeah. So it was really fun. I had a great time. So that thanks. was super awesome of your sister. Shout out to Caitlin. Yeah, thanks, Caitlin. For getting her sister awesome gifts. Oh, and I got a shout out because we went to dinner beforehand in Royal Oak. We went to Condado's Mexican. I don't know if you've ever been there. Mm -hmm. Oh, girl, the tacos that I got were so phenomenal. Literally some of the best tacos I've ever had in my entire life. So, and the margarita was great. I would just 10 out of 10 recommend that place. Well, we know what we're doing next week. Right? Yeah, seriously, let's go get some tacos and margs. <laughs> So, well, I guess we've already announced what we're drinking today. Yes. The mimosa is delish. Um, so, this episode is um, our Thanksgiving episodes. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a very interesting uh, family get-togethers here. So Yeah, very interesting stories. Sad that, you know, things like... Um, this happen on Thanksgiving, but you so, know, any any day of the week, I guess it could happen. If your Thanksgiving is going great and you're excited, sit back and let me ruin it for you while we talk about. Yeah, or if you think that you had a bad Thanksgiving, just listen to this and it'll make you feel better about yours. <laughs> so Thanksgiving in 1789, President George Washington declared November 26th to be officially recognized as a day of public Thanksgiving and prayers to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts and many, as many as signal favors of the Almighty God. Since then, Americans have celebrated Thanksgiving Day on each fourth Thursday in November, with most citizens typically observing a traditional gathering of families and intimate friends for a peaceful turkey-centered feast. Ooh, man, that turkey. So, but then there's Paul. Paul Michael Murridge. So it's 2009, Thanksgiving. It's on November 26th this year. And the families are planning all the foods. I'm talking turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, all the pies, um, especially pumpkin pie. And finding the football game to turn on the TV. Ours was usually growing up. I remember it was always Lions versus the Packers. Okay. That was kind of... I don't follow it as much now, so I don't know if it's still the same. Yeah, I don't... But I, I just no figured idea. the Lions are going to lose, so... Probably. <laughs> That's what no offense, I support my Lions, but I mean... Yeah. Facts. Yeah, <laughs> statistics. <laughs> so... In Jupiter, Florida, that's a little over 50 miles north of Miami, in an upscale gated community. Now, this is fancier than, like, Applebee's on a date night. I mean, this is bougie. This is, like, known for golf course, water teams. This is, like, high-end, like, mm. community. Jim and Merle Sitton were hosting their family Thanksgiving. They were expecting around 16 people, but... You know what? Hey, they were here for her. Even their six-year-old six Michaela was involved. She had written cards about how thankful she was, and she strung them up on clotheslines, made a little homemade decoration. Aww. 
Her grandmother and grandfather, Merle, Merle's parents, um, 76-year-old Raymond and Dr. Antoine, Antoine Joseph, they all came for the celebration, as did her Aunt Carol and Uncle Michael. Carol and Michael's twin daughters, they were 33 years old each, Carla and Lisa, uh, Lisa Knight, that's her married name. Um, she was pregnant with her first child, along with her husband, Patrick Knight. Um, he had been invited, and they all came eager to have Thanksgiving with their family. However, Carol and Michael's 35-year-old son, Paul, hadn't been invited by the sentence. Despite not being invited, he had called his parents and told them that he was planning to come. In fact, he'd been calling them for days to get the information about Thanksgiving. He repeatedly checked the time with his parents. He, he was estranged um, for most family gatherings, he and most of the family. He really showed up to anything. Um, he never really came to any function, so it wasn't really expected that he was going to be there. He never really wanted to participate in that kind of stuff. Um, Carol and Michael never mentioned their plans that he was planning on attending. They haven't even seen him in 13 years. Wow. I wonder what, like, made him want to go, you know? Well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> so imagine the shock when the sentence answered the door and Paul was there, but... You know what? She was like, we have plenty to go around. He is family after all. So you know what? The more the merrier. Come on in. Carol told her daughter, Lisa, that she had the sinister thought about Paul's plans. She told Lisa, I hope he doesn't come here to kill us tonight. To which Lisa said, Mom, like, don't say that. And don't let Dad hear you say that. Because you know he'd get upset if we had such ideas. So during dinner... Um, Paul didn't eat anything for three hours that Paul was there. He was there, but he did not participate in any of the day. So why come? Like, Yeah, like, what's the point? But I'm getting there. Oh, yeah, we're going to find out the point. <laughs> After dinner, they all gathered around the piano. They sang Christmas music, and Michaela sang and danced. Um, it was kind of like a mini dress rehearsal for her because she was excitingly going to perform in the school Nutcracker the next day. Aww. So after her little show, she promised to go to bed. It was 10.30. That was the deal. So off the bed, little one. So Mama took her upstairs, tucked her in sweetly into her bed. She cuddled her two baby dolls. Mom kissed her goodnight and went back downstairs. While everyone sang Christmas songs and spread cheer around, Paul had left. And when he had came back, he had a gun in his hand and started Oh my God. He shot his aunt Raymond, um, who was 76. Um, she was shot in the shoulder, and then her husband cowered down on the ground next to her, trying to stop the bleeding. He held the gun to her chest and fired again, blowing a hole in her sternum. Joseph, has, Joseph uh, recalled the scene later that night. Um, next was his twin sisters, Carla and Lisa. Um, again, Lisa was pregnant with her first child. Both of them was shot on sight. Um, then he yelled, God, I've been waiting 20 years to do that. <gasps> Fucking crazy. Like, oh wow. Gosh. Like, dude, talk. like full on massacre. Just snapped to your family. Boom. Yeah. That's so, oh, I mean, it's obviously fucking sad and fucked up on its own but the fact that they didn't know he was coming and then he just shows up like basic like unannounced and then they're kind enough to be like oh yeah i mean the more the merrier of course come in like have dinner with us and then he's not eating he's not participating and then literally like shoots them oh i'm not done oh gosh wait for it mm. this is this part's hard so just wait for it mm. So, there was no arguments, no red flags, no rampage, just, it was a family dinner. Everything was fine, but like I said, this is gonna probably a trigger warning um, because it is sad and it, I'm just going to hmm. keep going though. When he pulled the trigger on his final victim, it was a sleeping girl. Paul Michael did this with the most awesome cruelty, shooting Michaela, sitting six years old, 
in her bed on Thanksgiving Day. The last of the four relatives, police said he killed that day. He left the room, but immediately hesitated. Apparently not convinced that his work was done, he returned to Michaela's bed and shot her again, leaving her to die with a bullet in her back, another in her hip, and one more in her head. <sighs> Patrick Knight, which was Paul's brother-in-law, he was critically ruined um, after being shot, but he did survive. Oh my, the little innocent six-year-old baby. That's, I, I was thinking, obviously he has animosity towards his family, clearly. He said he was waiting 20 years to do this. What animosity possibly could you have towards a six-year-old child? Well, this is what they were saying. Um, Sitton thinks that he planned to kill Michaela, didn't plan to kill Michaela, but became jealous when he saw the family's and delight watching her sing. That's sick. That's true. So jealous of a little six-year-old beautiful little girl. <sighs> That's like, so you're a grown freaking man. Like, yeah. I mean, major mental issues. Yeah. Oh my god. Like, Ugh. I... That's disgusting. I can't. Like, yeah. It It was very hard for me to read this and go over this. Yeah. Um, just, just a baby. Yeah. And, you know... Um, so anyway, so he tried to snuff out the lights and said he came into the baby's room. He saw her innocence and he walked in purposely and killed her. My heart is completely shattered. I mean, yeah, what the shit? A grown man, jealous of a beautiful baby girl. That's just, again, I can't. Yeah. I hope this piece of shit just burns in hell. Uh, yeah. She dies. He lives. You've so twisted so who could do this what kind of animal do you ask well let me take you back a second paul michael murridge was born in florida in 1974 to carol and michael murridge he was the second child second boy he would soon be followed by twin girls lisa and carla he was a varsity athlete football baseball soccer he was an honor student at miami prep school gulliver preparatory academy he was described as driven mature handsome fit personable but quiet he was well liked but not popular he was the leader of the french honor society and he was the kicker on the football team frequently had to practice on his own since his specialty and um it was something that he didn't want to work on in practice so and he was in the yearbook. Um, Paul had a senior page to where he wrote to all 32 members of his family. I love you now and will forever. I have been so lucky to be blessed with having twin sisters. I am a protective old, older brother. He wrote to his mom and dad, thank you for all you have given me. And mom and dad give me a lot. In fact, they fully support me of my, supported him financially and would continue to do so throughout his life. Upon graduating third in his class in high school, Paul planned to attend the University of Miami, and he planned to graduate and become a doctor. Wow, I just have to say, the flip from his graduation quote, being like so appreciative and loving towards his family, to literally murdering them all, that's, that's a big flip. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, when he was... 13, his family got into an argument, and Paul overreacted just a scooch, you know. He pulled out a loaded gun, and no one knew he had who he had it pointed at, but it was at his family, and the gun never fired, but it was definitely a terrifying moment for the Merge family. According to his mother, Paul then had a nervous breakdown when he was 19. He was an honor student, but he had always battled with depression and OCD, and recently had begun to suffer from insomnia as well. On top of that, he was gaining weight. He was losing hair. Um, he'd been losing his hair since about 17 and had even started taking Rogan in high school as a preventative measure. Uh, college is very common time for people to start showing signs of mental illness. Now, the stress of the college as well as life-changing can trigger 
a lot of mental health illnesses. For Paul, it was depression and OCD. He was a big germaphobe. He showered repeatedly for extended periods of time. He would wear two pairs of underwear at one time. <laughs> so weird. Wow. And refused to wear shorts. Paul's OCD was full force. Not only was he showering and having repeatedly, but he was struggling to make decisions. He couldn't keep a job. People with OCD can often struggle with decision making, but they're typically worried about making the wrong choice. They're more worried of comes with uncertainty. Right. Another issue with his OCD was that it would cause him to revisit things like resentment, insults over and over again. So when he thought that he was rebuffed by his family or anyone, he would think about it repeatedly and he would stew on it for years. Paul liked to debate with people about religion, um, especially, like, he liked to argue about whether or not people actually believed every word in the Bible. He wasn't sure that anyone believed every word. Like, okay, politics, money, and religion. We don't talk about it. Nope. Those are the golden r the rules. We don't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paul began skipping his meds, eventually reported reported was that he attempted suicide by shooting himself. He told a psychiatrist that he couldn't stop thinking about death. He also frequently threatened to kill his sisters. Hmm. It was reported in a few sources that Paul was possibly jealous of his sisters or that he felt like a failure and needed to replace blame somewhere. Um, back in 1998 or 99, he was about 24 or 25, Paul took out a restraining order on his sisters. Carla when he claimed she tried to kill him, he dropped the complaint a few weeks later, and then in 2006, Carla attempted to get a restraining order against Paul. She claimed that he threatened to kill her by slitting her throat and then killing himself. Mm. She also withdrew the complaint after a few weeks. Okay, maybe we should, like, keep the complaints there. Yeah, <laughs> like, that probably would have been beneficial. Yeah. Ugh. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, but if a family friend threatens to kill me, I'm not going to change my mind a couple weeks later. I'm going to go ahead no. and put a barrier between us. Yeah, like, that's a little different than, like, getting in an argument or a disagreement. Like, literally threatening someone's life. That's, uh, that's no joke. And the same, like, slit your throat. That like, to be that specific about it. Like, I'm sleeping with one eye open, yeah. like, for life. Yeah, and, seriously. Um, not in the same house as you, like. No, no, no. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. So, in 1998, there are records from Miami-Dade County that says that Paul was arrested for disorderly contact and charged with misdemeanor, but that was all we really know about that. Um, Brother-in-law Patrick Knight, who was also a board-certified civil trial lawyer um, from Miami, didn't appear to be Paul's biggest fan, like, even before the shooting. He described Paul as fat and lazy and just a failure. Um, he never had a job or a girlfriend. He just stayed home on his computer. Paul, by no means, was a functioning member of the society. Mm. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like he was too off by his judgment. Right, yeah. So, back to 2009. Paul Murridge started making meticulous plans. Weeks before Thanksgiving, Paul spent over $2,000 buying guns and ammunition. He went to two different gun shops to get the supplies. Um, he purchased a scope that would be attached to a bolt-action rifle, a Reming 700. Paul claimed that he wanted four guns he would buy for hunting. He packed up clothes and drew, withdrew $12,000 from his bank, which I don't know right. how he had that much cash if he didn't really work. That's what I was going to say. Did he live, like, how did, how do people just live alone and, like, have things? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Oh, I, I yeah, it was a rich part. I don't want to assume. Right, yeah. So, the first 911 call came from a neighborhood just after 10 p.m. They reported that they had heard gunshots. Now, after the first call, more calls followed. Carla, Lisa, and her unborn baby, uh, Raymond, uh, Ramon, I'm not sure really how it's, it's a female name, so I'm thinking it's oh. more of a Ramon. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it's spelled differently. So, and then little Michaela Joyce, they were all beyond help. Mm. Clifford Gerba, Gabera, 
he was raised in the Mealy. I don't know what the Mealy is. Yeah, what is that? Um, we'll have to look that up. We're no biologists over here. Uh, Patrick Knight was in critical condition. Once he was at the hospital, he was put into a, uh, a medical-induced coma for the next few months. The Red Cross disaster team received, um, we'll call it 2 a.m., and provided a place for the surviving family members to stay for the rest of the week. Um, a representative for the Red Cross, they always said they were on site until 8 a.m. When the media coverage started at WPTV, was they were there and present. Jim said, which is Michaela's dad, um, had worked there for as a video photographer for many years. He was the vice president. He even commented that Jim was much loved. The news team loved him. Great guy all around. And that's even where he met his wife, Muriel, back in 1995. Mm. Also, weirdly, this was not the first time the family had a family, a family side. Okay, so I, a family. Mother. Like homicide family. I was yeah. trying to, I'm like, <laughs> wait, is that a legit word or is that like a, uh, a, pun. Like a, a pun? Yes, I like it. <laughs> family back, side. Back in 1973, one of uh, Paul's aunts on his dad's side, um, killed her ex-husband and two children before killing herself. Salwa, Salwa, hmm. Murridge Adams had given up had given up her future as an opera singer to be a wife and a husband. James Adams, <clears throat> pilot. <clears throat> <laughs> I called that. Yeah, he's not listening in there. Really, um, hopefully, these, hopefully pilots don't go uh, too crazy, but. Uh, so he was a pilot and uh, a mother to the children, Jack and Melissa Ann. And then after 19 years of marriage, James left her for a flight attendant. They got divorced, <laughs> but after the final hearing, she invited James over to the house. 14-year-old Jack and 10-year-old Melissa Ann and their family dog were waiting in the car while their parents were in the house. They were alone in the master bedroom when she took out her 38 caliber revolver and shot her ex four times in the chest. Mm. Then she brought Jack into the house and shot him until the gun was empty. Finally, she brought Melissa into the house, but in a different room, and shot her as well. After the family was dead, um, she didn't shoot herself. Of course, let's not make herself messy. Yeah, what? Instead, she swallowed a handful of pills and barbiturates, and she didn't die then either. She would spend five days in a coma at South Miami Hospital before she died. So she took her time with this. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And I just wonder, like, I mean, maybe not, but you would think a shooting would be loud. That's what I was thinking. So I'm wondering why the kids didn't get out of the car and book it. Right. Like, but, how did they not hear? But 10 and 14, maybe they were scared. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of... Maybe they were just kind of, like, panicked and shocked. They were still kids, you know, still yeah. babies. Um, oh, my gosh. But even after she would have came and got her brother, I, I don't know, I would think that she would have been like, something's not right, like, right. took off. But I don't know. I don't want to judge. I don't know why, but I'm just... That part kind of makes me wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even when you were talking about it, and I'm like, did they not hear her shoot, like, the other people before them? But yeah, I, I maybe... Or, like, even anyone in the neighborhood. Yeah. I don't know. So, on November 28th, a warrant was issued for Paul's arrest. A manhunt had begun immediately after he disappeared on December 3rd. Palm Beach County State Attorney Michael McAuliffe... Sorry about the name. They don't do well with names. Um, they decided that it was time to call the FBI, and it was assumed that Paul Michael had most likely fled the state. I mean, why would he stay, right? Right. But U.S. Deputy Marshals Barry Golden was certain that Paul didn't go far. He had been on the lam for about five weeks, and he could have gone literally anywhere. But Golden said because of the way he is, he didn't think that he would travel far. He's been spoon-fed his whole life by his parents and that Paul had taken the $12,000 from his parents' bank account. Ding, oh, ding, ding. There it is. Okay. So he had money, but 
that would only last for so long. He right. never held down a job, so it's not like he knew how to manage money easily. Right. And Paul also either killed his family or became estranged, so it wasn't likely that any of them would help him hide, not to mention the cops everywhere were looking for him. In January, the case gets some help from America's Most Wanted, um, John Walsh, if you're not familiar with him. Um, his son was kidnapped back in the 80s, and um, they found him beheaded. And that's how John Walsh joined the community of, and became the face of America's Most Wanted, trying oh. to help. Find people. Find wow, people I did not justice. know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a it's a Horrible. terrible story. He was kidnapped out of a mall. His mom, <sighs> the mom turned around for just a few minutes, you know, just like quickly to pay for something, right. and turned around <sighs> and he was let out of the store by cool older boys. And yeah. Wow, that's so sad. That's horrifying. Yeah. You have to either we can do the story together one yeah. day or go back and read about it. I mean, there's document. It's I heard there's podcasts. It's terrible. Wow, yeah, because I've seen America's Most Wanted, but I didn't know that's, that that was his backstory. Like, yeah, I didn't that's know how he was... became, got it going and became Oh, my his... gosh. Yeah. So, Paul, um, they pleaded for information about Paul. Um, a reward for $100,000 for information was offered with Paul's car information, the color, model, make, license plate number. And people were warned that he was armed and dangerous. Due to the gruesomeness of the murders and the fact that he had bolted after, Paul was considered one of the nation's most wanted criminals. Shortly after the broadcast, the owners of Edgewood Lodge noticed that the guys were looking for America's Most Wanted. Um, there was a lot of lookalikes. Um, so in the guest room, number 14 of this motel in Florida Keys, they went and did like a, another check. And however, when they checked, under the, he did check under the name John Baca and gave a made-up phone number. And when he prepaid for two weeks in advance, that was kind of like a little red flag. Yeah. Um, so in another attempt to conceal his identity, he had also swapped a license plate on his Camry and kept the car covered with a car tarp that he had purchased before the murders. Um, the owner said that he was very reclusive and he only left his room when he was washing his clothes. Suspicious, suspicious, suspicious. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they call in the tip to authorities on Saturday, January 2nd, 2010. And just after 10 p.m., U.S. Marshals evacuated the motel and broke down the door to his room. He had barricaded himself in his room by putting the mattress and the bar against the door. Paul got up from the laptop and ran into the bathroom. He had suicide devices or things that could use, he could use to commit suicide. Um, like corded ties, a noose, three small helium tanks, a plastic hood, a rubber hose. Um, They're all in the closet. He also had canned beans, allergy meds, pain reliever, and undies and snack packs. Gotta have his uh, double pair of undies. <laughs> <laughs> and snack packs. And snack packs. Essentials. <laughs> Paul had also received calls from a 305 area code, which is in Miami. It is actually used for Miami-Dade County and part of Monroe County, including the Florida Keys. He had been following everything about his own manhunt on the internet. He had also shaved his head. Um, he was obviously attempting to disguise himself. Um, when the authorities busted into his room with their guns drawn, this guy had the audacity to say, don't shoot me, bitch. Okay. I'm going to shoot you right in your freaking right. nose hole. <laughs> he had to be tased three times before he would cooperate with the police. He allowed himself to be apprehended. Paul was taken to Palm Beach County Jail. Upon his arrest, Paul seemed to be confused about the things he had done. In the interrogation, Paul rambled without ever directly confessing or even talking specifically about the event. I'm sorry, but why are so many people confused after they get arrested? Uh, All of a sudden, I don't remember doing that. I don't, I'm so confused. Why are you here? Why, why am I here? What am I doing here? Can I go home yet? When Let me can show I you a picture home? of the sweet baby girl. Yeah. Wow. 
So America's Most Wanted was there when he was arrested for Paul. Um, he told the cameras that after he was tormented for 18 years. I've had chronic mental problems, mental problems, nightmares. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was the only things I could do. I went several times to turn myself in. I was waiting for my parents, maybe a statement, and tell me to turn myself in. I didn't know what to do. Um, that night that he got arrested, right now, watching it on TV, my cousin, I didn't know. I've been wanting, and I didn't know what to do, and I just can't believe I've done all this, and I just, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, neither can I. Neither can America. Paul. <laughs> Paul. Paul. Sorry, Dad. Aw. We're not, we're not <laughs> against all Pauls, just this specific one. <laughs> Paul told the officers, it's impossible, you know, to reconcile what happened with me. It's just not even real. I'm not violent. I've never been violent. I'm not a criminal or a drug addict. It's just unbelievable what I've done to everybody. And then he asked the officer if this was going to be a long ordeal. <laughs> we are talking a two-year and then what? Worst case scenario, he would later say to his dad over the phone, hopefully after this case, hopefully I get sent to the hospital. The owners of the Edgewater was awarded 100000 for the tip that led to Paul's arrest. Oh my gosh, how disconnected is this guy? Yeah, and how long are we talking? Yeah, he, yeah, and even when they found him, you know, he's like, I don't know what I was doing. I, I, I don't know. I, I wanted to turn myself in. I was waiting for my parents. I, should I make a statement? Should I turn myself in? I don't know what to do. Like, and now I'm just watching it on TV and my cousin and I didn't know and I've been wanting to do it and. I can't believe I've done all this. I just can't believe it. Ew. Is he... He's either the stupidest person ever, like he can also be on the show World's Dumbest Criminals, or is he just that disconnected from reality? Like, how do you not... Yeah. Like, see the situation for what it is? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, to act like that, it's just... Again, like I said, I don't know how people... They go from being a violent monster to, I, I, I don't know, that's not me. Yeah, that's scary. No, that's probably you. And mm-hmm. You're trying to be manipulative right now. Because my daughter would say, you need to go die in a hole. Yes. <laughs> Months later, sitting in the Palm Beach County Jail, uh, he's 35 now, and seemed to be shaken by the horrors of his alleged deeds. He called his father collect at the Miami area home begging for forgiveness. I think about them, he told his father. I think about heaven, you know. I think about them consistently. I don't know how I could have done what I've done to everybody. I'm very hurt. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry for the people I have hurt. Well, you know. Too late now. His father sounding dry and defeated in the statistic-filled recording, I'm sorry, static-filled recording of the jail phone he called and he basically said, you know what? We have nothing. You have nothing. It's a total nightmare. Our lives, they're changed forever. Yeah, I can't imagine how his parents felt, like, just sickened. Oh, I'm sure they Ugh. hopefully cut him off by that. And oh. I'm sure they went to all the legal stuff, but then I'm, I would hope to God after that they'd just be like, Okay, fuck you and goodbye. Yeah, we're going to cut ties now because you're disgusting. So the arraignment was scheduled for February 2nd, 2010, where they pleaded not guilty. Paul was charged with four counts of first-degree murder for Carla, Lisa, Raymond, and Michaela. Three counts of attempted first-degree murder for Clifford, Antoine, and Patrick. Prosecutors plan to seek the death penalty. If successful, Paul would be the first defendant to get the death penalty in Palm Beach County. Um, in more than 20 years. Paul was scheduled to go to trial August 8th in 2011, and Jim Sinton was determined to get Paul to get the death penalty. Jim was quoted saying, if there's anyone who deserves the death penalty, it is someone who could execute my six-year-old daughter while she's in bed. I mean, don't don't disagree. He's not wrong. Yeah. But part of me wants him just to sit there and suffer, and too. Exactly. That's where my thing is with the I penalty. get torn but on that. That's a whole other topic. But, yeah, I, I definitely get torn because it's like, mm, which one is the worst option in reality? So state attorney Michael 
McCall was the prosecutor for the case, and while Paul's parents had supported him financially for his entire life, and that was apparently the cutoff. They finally found their point. <laughs> yeah, well, um, they were not going to hire him an attorney. I'm good. I would be appalled <laughs> if they did. Paul didn't have money of his own, so he was represented by a public defender, Carrie Howart. How Howart, yeah. Paul's defense team was about trying to argue insanity. They all go for the insanity. Mm-hmm. However, that was going to be very difficult since he planned the murders meticulously and then, well, take them out. Right. However, in, the insanity defense is tricky. It has been described as a double-edged sword that can often prove juries to juries that the defendant is dangerous and can make more likely to vote for the death penalty. In Florida, a majority of the jury has to vote for a death penalty, and the judge makes the final call. The defense plan was to call experts on schizophrenia and OCD. The veteran criminal profiles mentioned that Paul's behavior was more like of a sociopath than someone who was insane. They said that he knew what he did was wrong, but didn't care. The former FBI criminal profile, Greg McCary, said that his escape indicates that he appreciated the wrongfulness of what he was doing. He did it, and then he fled. Another profile would believe that during Paul's time in hiding, he began to feel remorse. Too late, fucker. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And then when they sit down in the darkest rooms and the darkest points of night, they look into their souls. It's really hard to justify killing a child. When you kill significant others in your life, you have to eventually you have to admit to yourself that it's so horrific and that soon you have to hold yourself accountable. Right, exactly. During the investigation and lead up to the trial, it was made clear that Paul had been holding a grudge against his family and just been brooding this and it's just been brewing for the hatred for more than a decade. It was also shown that three months before the murders, Paul had been treated by a doctor in Detroit but sources don't say why he was treated. His uncle, Dr. Antonio, Antoine, um, has treated him for a little bit, but again, we don't know for how long or for what. Three months before the trial, Paul accepted a plea deal when he would get the conviction of seven life sentences consecutively. He, without a chance for parole or appeals, he would... In lieu of the death penalty, Paul told the judge that he thought he was taking a number of antipsychotics and he was absolutely lucid enough to not take the plea. Enough to, I'm sorry, enough to take the plea deal and plead guilty. The family had to agree to this deal. Jim Sinton was not happy with it. He carried a cutting of Michaela's hair with him to the court and begged the judge and prosecutors to spare Paul's life. Not to spare Paul's life. He told the judge, we were not prepared to accept this today, and at last minute, the deal, it's just, it's being rammed down their throats. So, obviously, he's not... Yeah, I can't imagine how that would feel, you know? Yeah. Um, The circuit judge, Joseph Marks, gave the family a piece of advice that he carried with him. Mark's own wife had been shot and killed while she was pregnant in 94. He told the family, I make sure that I go out and do my best to live a good life every day. And I try to remember that every good thing I did. I believe one day I'll see them again. And I want to remember to be able to tell them this is what I did on this day. The Sins thought that McAuliffe was um, the, to agree to the plea deal for political reasons. He said that Their faith in the justice system was just shattered. Jim said, I know I have more faith in prisoners and fellow inmates of Stark. I guess that's the jail name. Mm -hmm. um, To take justice than I do in the state's attorney office. Because at least in prison, I know what they do to baby killers. Right on. Beat them up. Shank them. So the court's prosecutor's office had been debating the office offer for a while. And they included law enforcement in their decision-making, he told the court that he believed the plea deal was the appropriate choice and that he did empathize with the family. Um, the cost was not a factor in the decision. They did consider a significant amount of time that would go into the death penalty case. 
Clifford Gab Gabara held his Bible and read about Cain and Abel from Genesis. Merle Sitton said that the meek man sitting in the court was not a methodical man, methodical, methodical. methodical man, and that he gunned down his own family. By this time, 50-year-old Merle was now five months pregnant with another baby. She said, this killer you see in the courtroom today is not the man that was in our home tonight. He was a cold-blooded killer without remorse, without mercy, who just gunned down our family members and would have killed more if we had not escaped the house. Mm. Patrick had been in a coma until March of 2010, and the court dated for the plea deal. He accepted the deal because he wanted to pick up the pieces. He didn't want to have to deal with the appeals process for the next two decades. Jim sentence pleas became passionate, and while he was urging the judge to postpone this decision, he dropped his knees. He wanted to prepare a proper presentation. Jim also said this plea decision is far too important to rush through without any time for us, all of us, to think. We'd all have been waiting patiently for almost two years for this case to come to trial. Justice is at stake here. Judge Marks demanded that he stop. On October 11th, 2011, Paul Michael pleaded guilty to four counts <coughs> Sorry, of first-degree murder and three counts of attempted um, one first-degree murder and received seven consecutive life sentences. In doing this, he will avoid both trial and death penalty. Well, he's a... Uh... Be locked up for life, I guess that's for sure. But it's sad that it's you know the family didn't get really what they wanted out of it. After the plea deal, um, the conviction, the sentence filed a civil suit against Paul's parents, Michael and Carol. He claimed uh, negligence because they knew the son was planning to come, and they didn't tell anybody. Um, they he feels they could have prevented this. They could have stopped it by just telling him. Do not show up. Do not come. Um, they even said that they had a bad feeling about it. And again, nothing was done or said. So the sentence are kind of alleging that they had an opportunity to stop their son, but did not. Mm. Um, however, the lawsuits regarding the death of his wife, Lisa, and the unborn child, um, both the suits were rejected by the judge. Um, Jim and Merle, they still live in the house. Um, thanks, where the Thanksgiving massacre took place. They told the news outlet that they feel like there are four, far more good memories in the house than one night. They said it's where they feel closest to Michaela is in her room. Um, it's unchanged. Everything from the dress she had worn the night before, um, her Tinkerbell PJs hang in the closet, the alarm clock, Michaela's voice telling them to wake up. They also said that they sometimes can still call the answering machine just to hear uh, the mom's voice as well. Aww. The sentence started a foundation in Michaela's name to carry out the loved ones um, for a dance and music um, foundation. So um, they have annual concerts and fundraisers for it. Ten years later, um, I couldn't find any information about Paul right now. I mm -hmm. tried, so I don't I'm guessing he must still just be in prison. There's not right. nothing saying killed in prison, so yeah. I'm guessing it's just... He's probably still just sitting in there. Yeah. Uh, Merle Sinton did say, I felt the Lord had placed in our hearts that we needed to keep moving, and it wasn't over for us. This chapter wasn't over. And by that, meaning that they, uh, they, they got to have another baby. Um, it was in 2012. Their prayers were answered by the birth of Natalia Grace. Michaela would have been a big sister turning 17. Aww, that's heartbreaking. It's a terrible story. Sorry I had to bring the vibe down for Thanksgiving, <laughs> but maybe it'll also... These mimosas are making me uh, very hiccupy over here. I'm trying to be very quiet with them. Um, hopefully you will hear the story and be grateful of the loving family you have and realize... Mm -hmm what you have and be thankful for and know that it could always be worse. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's what Thanksgiving is, just realizing how thankful 
of things that you should be in your life. Um, and definitely thankful that most of us don't have family members that will come in and kill us all because... I hope not. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Oh, gosh. What a horrible, horrible story, though. Yes, I'm, uh, I am just going to be hopeful that my green bean casserole turns out as well as it does every year. It will, I'm sure. I hate to brag, but I'm kind of the green bean uh, queen. Casserole. The green bean casserole machine. <laughs> yes, I am the queen of green bean casseroles in my family. So, Dang. I mean, I don't want to brag or nothing, but. Oh yeah. my God. Right before the show, my brother texted to confirm that I was bringing it to his house. I'm like, <laughs> yes, sir. You're like, don't worry, don't worry. It's coming. So, but thank you guys for listening and sticking around. Um, KK has a story as well, but because I've been rambling on for 52 minutes now, <laughs> um, we didn't want to make you sit here for two hours, so we are going to put out two episodes this weekend. So um, yes, after you listen to this one, just look on down. There should be another one right underneath it. you got a, a two-parter binging, binging for two episodes. I don't know if that's really binging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah, in a way. <laughs> so we get uh, you get a two for this week. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Thank you for listening. And yes, tune in to the, uh, the other things if you want to keep rolling on with the Thanksgiving uh, festivities. <laughs> so if you're flying, traveling, be safe. Enjoy the time with your family and just be grateful. Yes. Happy holidays, peeps. We got to go. Stay creepy. Bye. Bye.